Your mom is Wolf. My name is Sarah Jones, and this is my podcast, Your Mom's a Sleuth, where I talk about everything from murder to motherhood. Listen in as I give you the details you haven't heard on the news yet, right here on Your Mom's a Sleuth. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Your Mom's a Sleuth. This is episode three, Coburger and Fry. So it was a very busy week in Moscow, Idaho, you guys. We had a status hearing. We had Dateline in 2020. We had so much happening and yet so little official information. Before I get into what was and was not talked about, I want to do something I'm going to call the corrections corner. When you're sleuthing, you have to understand that you're definitely not going to get it right 99.9% of the time. And you have to be able to admit that you have to be able to delete your comments, go back and say, you know what, I'm wrong, I stand corrected. And thanks for your help, everyone. Something I got very wrong on last week's episode was the redacted page on the affidavit. Turns out there was no redacted page. It was just a copy of a blank page that happened to be placed in the middle of the affidavit. So this was a clerical error. And <laughs> that is embarrassing. But you have to be able to admit these things. It's what a good sleuth should do. The other thing that you probably noticed was an inconsistency between Papa Roger and Papa Rogers. And I thought maybe this is some sort of Mr. Rogers thing that I had buried in my head. But then I went back and looked and what it really is, is that there are two Papa Roger and Papa Rogers. Papa Roger is the original group member that everybody thinks is Brian Koberger. And Papa Rogers was a copycat account. And people got it confused. I got it confused. I said both in the last podcast. But from here on forward, it is officially Papa Roger. And I was kind of excited to see his name get mentioned on Dateline last night. I did see it in some of the news sources. I saw it on CNN. I saw it on New York Post. Of course, this is all after I talked about it on my podcast last week. I'm going to talk more about that later on. But for now, I want to get into what happened with the status hearing this week. The status hearing was huge because we got this sort of shocking piece of information that we're going to have to wait for more information officially until June 26th. That is wild. That is a long time to wait for a preliminary hearing to happen. This is not for the trial to begin. It's just for a preliminary hearing where everyone's going to present their strongest evidence and Brian is going to make a plea. So that means he's sitting in jail waiting to make a plea until the end of June. This gives them a really long time to track down experts to refute what the DA is going to say. It gives them a long time to comb through everything and a long time to concoct a story. I know that somebody really is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but the odds are not in Koberger's favor. Nobody really objected to this or made a big stink. So it leads me to believe that the DA is confident. And he's sort of like, here you go, we're going to hand over this stuff to you, have a crack at it you're definitely guilty, buddy. Another thing that struck me at the status hearing was Brian's demeanor. 
Now, if you have been accused of killing four people, it's garnered worldwide attention. Your family's lives are ruined. The FBI SWAT team came in in the middle of the night, broke down their front door, scared the hell out of everybody, arrested you. You can't even afford your own attorney. Your life is in shambles. And this is after you turned it around being a, you know, a recovered heroin addict turned PhD candidate. It's really a Cinderella story. And it's been absolutely destroyed because you have been wrongly accused of viciously murdering four innocent young people. Are you going to be sitting in court with a blank look on your face answering yes, no, yes, in a very monotonous way with absolutely no facial expressions? This man is absolutely void of emotions while listening to this. He is being told that he could receive the death penalty four times in a row. And when I tell you he didn't even so much as blink, this is exactly the type of behavior that I would expect from somebody who is completely out of touch with other people's feelings, completely out of touch with how somebody would feel in that situation. Because I don't think that he feels much of anything at all, especially not remorse for what it's looking like he definitely did. He can't even pretend to have emotions because I don't think he understands real emotions. If I was innocent, sitting there being accused of those things, being told four times in a row that I am going to get the death penalty if I am convicted of these crimes, I might have some tears in my eyes. I might have my gaze shift a little bit, look around like, Hey, everybody, like, I I'm, I didn't do this. You might have some sort of panic. There's none of that. There's pure apathy going on here. And I think that he thinks he's seeming cool and calm and confident because he's innocent. But what it's really coming across as is creepily apathetic. And for me personally, it just makes him look incredibly guilty. He's definitely not going to be winning any jurors over with his charming personality. So shifting gears from the hearing, I want to talk about the Super Bowl of Friday nights for people who love true crime. And that was simultaneous Dateline and 2020 episodes where they talked about the Moscow murders. They interviewed family members. They interviewed friends. They interviewed Brian's barber. They talked to local reporters. They were all over the town with these amazing drone shots and showing how close the houses are together. I mean, you really got a feel for what this town is like, and more importantly, who the victims were and how much they meant to their family members and what their personal stories were. It's hard not to get emotional talking about them. I don't know why. It's just this unexplained feeling that I think people have all over the world, like you know them. So a new layer to the story that was talked about was the fact that there was a party at the girl's home the night before this murder happened. So not the night that they were out partying and came home and went to sleep. It's the night before this. They had a formal for their sorority and the girls hosted a party. It's why Kaylee Gonzalez was in town. She went to the formal with Dylan 
And it's really crazy. They had over 150 people in their house that night. This is an absolute nightmare for anybody trying to collect DNA evidence from the home that doesn't belong to the four victims. I think you could easily rule out any DNA in the house that isn't directly on their body or directly on the murder weapon, or in this case, the sheath. That's 150 people touching the doorknobs, the bathrooms, the uh, the sink. You just, it's it goes on and on. This is definitely going to be something that comes up at trial. Another sort of new layer to this was that we did get to hear from friends of the victims and we got to hear from their family in a much more personal way than some of the sort of brief news report interviews have been. It was heartbreaking and very touching to hear how it went the mornings that they found out, and in some cases the afternoons, where the police came and knocked on the family's door, or text messages started going around at school. It really was so humanizing. When you're researching this, you start to forget uh, that these are real people. These are real victims who had real lives, real family members, and real friends. And when people were accusing innocent people of committing the crimes, that was really happening in real time for this friend group who was trying to grieve the loss of their loved ones. I hope for some of the people who outright accused innocent young people of hideous crimes, that that really sunk in. I also really loved how they addressed a lot of the internet rumors, like the fact that Brian Koberger attended the memorial, and the fact that, you know, people thought it was the boyfriend or the guy from the food trucks. These were huge rumors that have been going around. And some people just did not want to let those rumors die, even with the police saying that these rumors were not true. But let's get into why some of these rumors are absolutely rampant lately. Recently in the Facebook group that I recommended to you guys, there has been a total onslaught of new members and I'm talking about members in the hundreds of thousands. This is really out of control for a web sleuthing group. It's actually a little bit unnerving because there are people in there who are absolutely unhinged. Normally in a group like this, you would have several moderators who are accepting new members, who are sort of fleshing out um, inappropriate comments, inappropriate theories, who are approving posts. That's the responsible thing to do when you have a Facebook group. However, none of that has been going on in this group since the discovery of Papa Roger. And the original members of the group have been screaming practically for additional moderators for weeks. So what's funny is this week, the two original moderators came on and I don't want to say it was a statement, but they made a post where they said that the police have asked them not to add additional moderators and that they really have to leave the group as is and they're not allowed to make any adjustments to it. And that tells me that the group is being monitored by the police 
probably because of Papa Roger, but maybe because they're looking for something more. Is this Facebook group now part of the official evidence for the trial? This is extremely unusual, and a moderator is going to have access to messages from group members. They're allowed to see who the hidden members are who make comments. They can see everything, and it's it's all the behind-the-scenes stuff going on with that group. So for them to not be allowed to add new members, it leads me to believe that the evidence against Papa Roger that they handed over to the FBI is very intriguing to them. And so now the group as a whole is evidence. And while that is super cool to somebody like me, it's also kind of a nightmare because there are all these new people in just throwing in crazy theories, being highly disrespectful, and it's it's out of control. So it's a little bit sad at the same time, because this is no longer, in my opinion, a legitimate investigative group. It's really just an absolute wild west town. Anything goes, everybody's disrespecting each other. And it's kind of sad. It's really like the death of this group for me. So RIP Facebook group, you were really cool while you lasted. Thanks a lot, Papa Roger. I highly recommend if you were liking that group, if you did join it, uh, go out and look for much smaller groups. A normal group is going to have three to 5,000 members, um, maybe in something like this Cohasset murder, there's going to be 10,000 people in the group. But you have to really pay attention to those numbers and how well the group is being moderated. That being said, don't join too many groups. You know, it's there comes a time in every person's journey with internet sleuthing that you need to take a break. I call this break a brain scrub. It's like you've been looking at it for days, you've been nonstop reading news articles and going into Reddit threads, commenting on things, going down research rabbit holes, and you have to go, oh my God, I can't step away from this. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't sleep. Maybe you're having anxiety that what happened to them could happen to you. You know, it's a windy night tonight. It's very windy outside. I keep hearing noises. It's just the wind, but it's scaring the hell out of me. This is when it's time to take a break and do a brain scrub. This is negative, evil stuff that we're talking about. And if you're constantly researching it, constantly reading this traumatizing, oh my God, did you just hear that? This is exactly what I'm talking about. I just heard like a broom fall over or something in my basement. It's probably just a mouse, but it literally scared the crap out of me. Okay, sorry for the brief interlude. I had to make sure that nobody was creeping around my basement. All is well. See, this is one of those crazy side effects (laughs) you get when you become a sleuth. But I can't give this up because I literally have a podcast now called Your Mom's a Sleuth. So when I take a break, you guys will know it and there won't be any new episodes. So I know last time I said that I don't really speak on rumors, but the rumor mill is a little crazy right now. Like I said, it's out of control with everything that's happening with the group. But there's one rumor that seems to be gaining momentum in the groups, and that is that Brian had an accomplice. Somebody posted from another group a posting that apparently was from Brian Koberger's sister, basically saying that 
He had been at the house that night doing drugs with a friend, not at the house, but behind the house in the parking lot. And that would explain why his car was seen on the cameras and that his friend who works in security at the university was a creeper who was spying on the girls a lot and that his phone always pinged near there because that's where they would go to do drugs. Even further than that, he says that his friend high on drugs was using his knife to, I don't know, sort the drugs out. And, uh, and then he went into the house with the knife and Brian freaked out and drove away and left him there. He says his phone was dead the whole time and he plugged it in after he left. And this is going to be his story. Now, I don't have a really credible source for this rumor. It just was something that was posted that immediately started gaining speed. And people started to say this could potentially be true. There was a guy at Washington State University who was killed by a SWAT team the day before Brian left Washington State University. And that was because he was ex-military suffering from PTSD, who was threatening his friends. And people are starting to claim that this guy was a friend of Brian's, and he may be the actual murderer and that Brian is just an accomplice and an unwilling accomplice at that. So I sort of feel like likely story, I don't really believe this. I think there has to be way more evidence to prove this. Unfortunately, this person is deceased and has no way to defend himself from these rumors. And I'm really hoping that they are just that, just rumors. I really struggle to believe that entire scenario for all the reasons that I mentioned before about Brian's demeanor at uh, the hearings. I just think this is one of those rumors that needs to die and needs to die quickly. Another thing I want to talk about here is the timeline, because I keep seeing it being said that 15 minutes is not enough time to kill four people. And I really just want to talk about why that's not true. At approximately 2 a.m., all of the people in the home, according to statements, were in the house, either in their bed or in their rooms, but they were all home. At 3.29, the white Elantra first passes by the home. Between 3.29 and 4.20 a.m., the Elantra is seen multiple times passing by the home, the last time being at 4.20. At approximately 4 a.m., all occupants are in their rooms or asleep, according to statements made by Dylan and Beth, the surviving roommates. This is with the exception of Zaina, who had a DoorDash delivery around 4 a.m., At approximately 4 a.m., Dylan is woken up by what sounds like Kaylee playing with her dog in one of the upstairs rooms. Zayna also gets a DoorDash delivery right around this time. At 4.04, the white Elantra re-enters the area and attempts to park doing a three-point turn right in front of the residence on King Street and then goes down Queen Street. It's unconfirmed exactly what time, but sometime after 4 a.m. and sometime after she thought she heard Kaylee playing with her dog upstairs, Dylan hears there's someone's here and checks and doesn't see anybody outside of her room. At 4.12 a.m., Zayna is on TikTok. And this has also been documented, as we've seen this week, uh, with her actual comments from TikTok around that time. 
really upsetting. And then at 4.17, a loud thud, possible whimper or talking, dog barking, etc. is heard on a nearby ring camera. Simultaneously, while all of this is going on, again, with an unconfirmed time, Dylan hears crying and a male voice saying, it's okay, I'm going to help you. She opens the door shortly after this and sees the killer walking towards her and out the sliding glass door. At 4.20 a.m., the white Elantra is seen leaving at a very high rate of speed. So people are not taking into account here the time it takes to actually park a car, exit a car, and then get up the nerve to walk right into a house, up the stairs, and commence this horrifically violent crime spree. I think people are underestimating the wounds that the victims received. I believe strongly that some of them died within just a few minutes of having these wounds inflicted on them. Yes, some of them had defensive wounds, but a defensive wound could really just be putting your hand up to shield yourself from a knife and receiving cuts on your hands. That's it. I really don't think they were able to put up too much of a fight because of how sharp this knife was and how violent his attack was. He had the element of surprise. He had the element of a weapon. And I just think he overtook them very quickly. And it might not even have been over before he left. They may have been laying there bleeding out, which is awful to think about. But all I'm trying to say is 15 to 20 minutes is a heck of a long time to be trespassing in a house full of people committing a very violent crime that neighboring cameras definitely picked up. He had to do this quickly and get the heck out of there. I actually think the timeline was much closer to 10 minutes or less. I've also heard that Chief Fry told somebody off the record that there were way more bombshells to come in this case that literally our minds are going to be blown. So again, I just, I have to stress that we literally know so little about everything that's happened. There's going to be so much more evidence collected. There's going to be so many more details. And unfortunately, we just don't get to hear about that stuff until the end of June. Speaking of Chief Fry, definitely familiarize yourself with him because he is going to be a big piece of this whole thing. He has been just an absolute rock throughout all of this, remained so steady and calm. And I just loved his entire strategy in dealing with the press and what information got leaked It seemed like a bit of a mess, but now it's starting to feel as though it was a deliberate mess. And I just really love and appreciate that as somebody who likes a good puzzle. So this is definitely a Chief Fry Stan account and fight me on it. I don't care. I really want to know what you guys thought about the Dateline and 2020 episodes. Did you watch both? Was it all too much? Which one did you like better? And then also what you're looking forward to finding out the most. I hate to use these phrases like looking forward to, or this is fun. It really sounds so morbid and crazy, but there is some sort of satisfaction in finding out 
more detail and understanding how this all came to be. So please excuse my <laughs> lack of better, you know, verbiage here, but it's just that that's the way it's going to be with me. So definitely let me know what your thoughts are on those specials. Do you think there's going to be part two, maybe part three and four, maybe they're going to cover the trial, you know, as it goes on week after week. But I, again, I've never seen them cover something so quickly without it even being finished yet. And honestly, I cannot wait for this trial because what I wouldn't give to see a Coburger and Fry stare down. I'm dying for that. So keep giving me the feedback. Let me know what you're looking forward to. And yeah, I am definitely going to see you guys on the gram. Keep an eye out for the next episode. I want to give a shout out to Southern Sociable on Etsy, who I got this awesome Dateline candle from this week. Uh, It says Dateline smells like my weird obsession with murder, true crime and me time. This is the most me thing I think I've ever received. And you can pick the scent. It's absolutely amazing. So shout out to Southern Sociable. She's also on Instagram, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. Thank you for your patience on this latest episode. And thank you for the continued support. I really appreciate you guys. Don't forget my advice that I gave you about taking a break, doing a brain scrub this week and doing something much more lighthearted. Focus on your families, focus on your kids, do it for these victims who no longer have the opportunity to. And as I always say, keep them in your prayers and just try and focus on the positive and enjoy your lives. Definitely take a step back and take a break this week, but be sure to check back here for episode four. In the meantime, good luck out there in the wild, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Peace out.